Well, good morning, Westwood. Good to see you. Happy Easter. Uh, I want to do something, even though it's a little strange and you're sitting at home and I'm here, but I, I want to do something that we do, we've done in the church for years on Easter morning. It's the He is risen, He is risen indeed, uh, back and forth thing. I'm going to do it wherever you're seated. Would you just respond with He is risen indeed here this morning? All right, let's do it. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, we may be behind closed doors in our houses, social distancing this morning, but we are gathered to celebrate that the stone is rolled away, that Jesus Christ is risen. He is not here, just as he said. He is risen, and he has left the tomb, and he is in the open in resurrection life this morning. He is changing lives 2,000 years later. He changed my life. He's changing your life. He's changing many people's lives, and we gather to celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God. It is Easter morning. Today, as we turn to God's Word, we're going to be looking at something that we've been looking at for the last few weeks as a part of this series, Journey to the Cross. Uh, it's really now a journey to the empty tomb. Uh, we've been looking at these seven signs that John has curated for us, a list of, of, of miracles, moments that John looks at and he says, that that points to something bigger. And so we've seen all these beautiful signs along the way. And today we come to really the eighth sign, the very last sign uh, in the book of John. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be at John chapter 20. If you have a Bible where you're seated at home or pull it up on your phone, you can join us in John chapter 20. We'll also put the verses on the screen. Let's jump in and look at God's word uh, this morning. What I, what I want want you to see here is that there are actually in this passage there are not only is there this one big sign of the resurrection of Jesus there are really three sub signs that make up this big sign and they're each in these key scenes and so I want to show you three sub signs today in this passage of the resurrection of Jesus that makes up this big sign to show us who Jesus is is. And so here they are. The, the first one is the sign of the folded cloth. Strange, I know. Secondly, the sign of the called name. And the third one is the, call, uh, the sign of the scarred wounds. The scarred wounds, okay? We're going to see these each in this passage this morning. So grab your Bibles. John chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 1 here this morning. Uh, if you'll listen as I read here. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's, that's our author John here, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So what you have here in this, this opening scene here is Mary is going to the tomb. We know from the other gospels that she goes with some other ladies. They are going to finish the embalming process. There was a hurried burial on uh, Good Friday, and so Mary's going back to finish the job uh, properly. She gets to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. The body is missing, and she's like, 
oh no, what's going on? Now there's a number of things that could have been running through her mind. Uh, she might have thought this was a, a case of tomb robbers, uh, grave robbers, that that was common in those days. People would be buried with coins or valuables or you know, important things to them. And so uh, people would break into tombs and steal things, but they usually didn't steal the bodies. Um, but here she thinks somebody's broken into the tomb. Uh, then she realizes the body's missing. She thinks maybe somebody moved the body for one, one reason or another, maybe just because they had to relocate it, or maybe uh, because someone's you know, interested in foul play and wants to use the body for something, who knows? Uh, but she freaks out. She runs back to, to see Peter um, and John here. And then, of course, they, they, they go to the tomb. So look at verse uh, three here. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love this little moment here in, in scripture. John writing inspired scripture wants us to know for all eternity, he beat Peter. He's faster than Peter, okay? I love the humanity of this. Look at verse five. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not laying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first just so we don't forget <laughs> also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So what we have here is this, this moment where it says John saw and believed. He saw and believed. The question is, what did he see? What did John see that caused him to believe? It says here that, he, that John saw something in the tomb. He saw that there was no body. He saw that there are linen cloths. These are the wrappings that went around the body, sort of, you know, long strips wrapped around the body itself that are kind of off, off to one side. And he sees the face cloth that wrapped around the, he the head folded up neatly off to the side. That's what he sees. And he says he saw this and he believed. And you say, what's going on? What's, what's there to see and believe? Well, I think John is quickly calculating what's going on here. Grave robbers um, probably wouldn't have taken the body. Um, if somebody had moved the body, they probably would not have unwrapped it. So that, I mean, there's linen cloths there. Somebody unwrapped this thing. If they wanted foul play, they were gonna use the body or mutilate the body or do something bad with the body. Um, they probably would not have stopped and folded up the face cloth in a nice, neat arrangement and set it off to the side. You see, so he's, he's looking at evidence. He's seeing what's going on here. And, and here's, I think, just the most human thing here. John realizes Jesus made his own bed. Like Jesus got up from the grave, from death, and he's like, took off the face cloth and he folded it neatly and sat it aside. Just like when you stay at a, a guest's house or whatever and you're like, okay, we need to make the bed, we need to do the linens, we need to clean up and make sure we leave this place in a decent order. Jesus gets up in the morning of his resurrection and he's straightening the place up. He folds the face cloth 
off to the side. And John, who no doubt had spent many, many days um, in, in proximity with Jesus in the morning, knew his morning routine and knows that Jesus tidies up. This is what Jesus does. And so he looks over and he sees this cloth that's folded up and he goes, that's so Jesus. That's so Jesus to just clean up, tidy the place, you know, straighten up the tomb before he goes on with his, with his day. And here's the point. John saw the evidence of Jesus' touch. Do you see that? John saw the evidence of Jesus' touch. And he realizes Jesus was here. I mean, he left his mark here. His presence, his life, his reality, there are signs right here of the living Jesus' presence that he was here last, and he set this thing out. He goes, I, I think Jesus was here, right here. I think he was here. Now, my question for you is, have you ever had moments like that? Have you ever had moments in your life in subtle little ways where you just sort of realized that Jesus had been around, Jesus was here? Maybe it's friends that you know, family members you know, and you look into their life and you start to say, something's different here. I see the marks, the touch of Jesus on the lives of people around me. There's things here I can't explain, except I think Jesus was here. I think he left his mark, his touch on people's lives. I know that's true in, in my life. I mean, I've seen people whose marriages were hopeless and then Jesus reached down and touched them and their marriages are restored. I've seen people with addictions who, who had no hope of beating them and then Jesus entered their life and left his mark, his touch on theirs and all of a sudden they're able to process through and move through some of their addiction. I've seen people whose relationships were so hopelessly beyond repair and Jesus reached down and touched their lives. And sometimes I think what happens in life, friends, is we see someone whose life is so full, brimming with love and life and hope and fullness, and we say, what's going on with them? What's, there's evidence of some intervention, some touch from beyond the world in their life, and we say, what's going on? I could tell you of some friends of mine that I've just recently been walking through life with as a pastor. I, I could tell you about a 30-something couple that, that uh, they got married and then their marriage hit some rocky ground and they came into my office and they said, we're, we're feeling like everything's falling apart. What do we do? And I could tell you about how Jesus is changing them and teaching them to love each other again. I could tell you about the, the 50-year-old, uh, 50s, some, 50s, 60s uh, year old widow who just recently lost um, her husband of many years and is grappling with grief and trying to figure out how do I go forward and is finding Jesus to be an indispensable source of life and peace and hope in the midst of really tough stuff. I could tell you about a, a young lady uh, that I've talked with recently who is struggling with body image and eating disorders and things like that and is beginning to dare to believe that Jesus loves her exactly the way she is. I could tell you about a 30-year-old a divorcee that I've talked to recently and he's just beginning to believe that maybe Jesus has a future and a hope for him. And I'm telling you, there's evidence of Jesus' touch in the lives of people everywhere. 
Do you see it? Do you see it? For John, it was a folded cloth. The marks that Jesus had been there. That's what he saw. It meant that Jesus' touch was real and alive. He saw it and he believed. This is the first sign, the folded cloth. The second sign here is the called name. The called name. Look at verse 11 with me. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So Peter and John have left. They've, they've run off now. But Mary stays behind. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. So she's still thinking here, grave robbers, somebody moved the body, what's going on? Look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She's like, look, if you did this, just please fess up, tell me. I'll take it from here. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, I love this, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now here's the question, what made the penny drop for Mary? What made it all real in her mind here? It wasn't seeing the angels, that didn't do it. It wasn't seeing Jesus, she thought he was the gardener, that didn't do the trick. What was it that caused Mary to realize that Jesus was risen and alive it was when he said her name, Mary, Mary. And no one said her name like that. And so recognition dawns, and she grabs a hold of Jesus, never to let go again, because never wanting to let go again, because she lost him once. She's not gonna lose him again. You know, I think there's something so tender here. When, when I'm talking to my kids and I really want to get their attention, I, I call them by name, don't I? I say, Claire, look at Claire, Claire, pay attention. Violet, Cora, Jude, look at me, right? I say their names, why? Because it, it's, I'm calling their individual attention in relationship with me. I'm calling them, it's like they're the only ones in the world in that moment, right? When I say their name, and that's what happens for Mary here. Mary heard the call of Jesus' voice. Mary heard the call of Jesus' voice, calling her name, and she knew him, and he called her name, and she looked up, and their eyes met, and the fog lifted, and she could see clearly now. 
He had called her by name, and it cuts through all the noise. My friends, my question is, have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever had a moment where the voice of Jesus cut through the noise and called you by name and you knew he was calling for you? Oh, maybe it wasn't an auditory voice that you hear, but you knew in your heart that he was inviting you, calling, reaching out, drawing you to himself and calling your name. Have you ever had that moment when you realize that Jesus is pursuing you? You, Margaret, Fred, Frank, Janet, that Jesus loves you, that he's come for you, that he wants you. Has that ever happened to you? That moment when you realize it's just Jesus and me, and he loves me, and he's come for me. For Mary, it was the moment of the called name when she heard the voice of her Jesus reaching out, calling her, knowing her, drawing her to himself, Mary, Mary. And she turned and embraced him. It was the second sign. He knew her name. The third sign here is the sign of the sacred wounds, the sign of the sacred Wounds. Let's look here at verse 19. On the evening of that day, so this is still resurrection morning, but now we're in the evening twilight hours, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, shalom, the Jewish greeting of well-being in the presence of the world made right in light of God's reign and rule. This is where they are, shalom. When he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus shows up in this locked room somehow. Behind closed locked doors, he just shows up, walks through the walls, walks through the door. I don't know how he does this, but he shows up. You know, we have this concept of of denser objects moving through less dense objects. Like when you you walk through water and you're wading through water, your, your body parts the substance because you're a greater dense object walking through a lesser dense Uh, substance. I don't know if that's something of what's going on here, that Jesus in his resurrection life, his body is just more dense, more real, more solid than anything on this earth. And that's how he just walks through the wall like we walk through water. I don't know how this works, but Jesus shows up in their midst and he shows them the nail scars in his hands the, the spear wound that plunged in his side all the way to the, to the heart on the cross when the soldier uh, double-checked to make sure he was dead. He shows them the wounds, the marks of his crucifixion, and it is then that they begin to rejoice when they see him. And of course, he commissions them. He says, I'm gonna send you now. 
with this message of good news that, the, that I have died and ro- rose again to make this entire world right with God through me. And I'm gonna send you out as my missionaries, as my ambassadors into all the world. I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He, he, he breathes on them in this dramatic uh, dramatization of the Holy Spirit coming, a temporary filling that will one day be completed at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down with fire and rests upon them in permanence. But he, and he gives them here uh, agency of his forgiveness that will go to all people. And so he sends them out. But there's somebody who's not there. Somebody who's social distancing uh, on this particular day, and that's Thomas. He's not with the rest. And so we catch him up here in verse 24. Look at verse 24 with me. Now Thomas, one of the 12, 12 disciples, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Bummer, he missed him. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of, of the nails... Um, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I've got to see and touch Jesus. I, I don't believe this. Now, sometimes I think Thomas gets a bad rap. You know, I mean, we, we're so hard on him. We even call him Doubting Thomas. But I don't blame this guy. I, re- I really don't. You know, he had, he had opened his heart to Jesus. He had pinned all of his hopes, his dreams on Jesus being the rescuer of the people, the savior of the world, the Messiah, the king, and all the hopes of Israel coming true in the person of Jesus. Thomas had hitched his wagon to Jesus, and he had, he had put everything in the bucket of, of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it came like cold water in his face. And everything fell apart and Jesus was crucified and all his hopes and dreams were dashed and nothing went the way it was supposed to and he's grieving here. And all of a sudden these disciples come and tell him, you know, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. And Thomas is like, look, I, I can't, I'm not gonna just open the door of my heart that quickly. Like it hurts too much. I don't, I'm not doing it. You gotta show me, I've gotta see it. I, I don't believe until it's really, really real. It's too tender. My heart is too raw. I can't open up and believe again this quickly. And look at the kindness of Jesus here. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, so just over a week, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, Peace be with you, shalom. It's exactly what he did the previous week. But then he makes a beeline for Thomas. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What tipped the scales for Thomas here? What what made the difference? It was when Thomas felt the depth of Jesus' love. When Thomas felt the depth of Jesus' love, that's what made the difference for him. 
a love that was greater than skin deep, a love that plunged all the way to the very heart of who Jesus is. Jesus held out his hands, and Thomas realized Jesus had come just for him. Jesus came back just so he could touch, just so he could believe, just so his heart could come back and he could dare to trust and open his heart to Jesus again. All the hopes and dreams that Thomas had placed on Jesus, they weren't actually dashed on the cross, but they were fulfilled on the cross. And Thomas begins, as he feels the scars, Thomas begins to realize the depth of Jesus' love for him, a love that was willing to go to the cross, a love that was willing to be pierced and nailed and crucified, a love that was willing to surrender and give up everything so that Thomas might be made right with God, a love that dies on the cross in Thomas's place and for his sake to bear all of his sin and all of his shame and to make him right with God, a love so powerful that it could not stay dead, but rose with power and majesty on resurrection morning. All of Thomas's hopes and dreams are not gone, but are fulfilled and are coming true in the person of Jesus. And now, standing before him is the resurrected Son of God, the Messiah, the King, the, 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 the Lord of heaven and earth. And Thomas's confession could not be any clearer, is it? My Lord and my God. I see now who you are. And then John gives us a takeaway. It's that famous verse we've been looking at all through this series. This is verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here at the very end of things, John says, look, all of this, the face cloth, the called name, the scars, in, and the piercing of the wounds, it is all signs that are leading to this moment where you begin to realize who you're dealing with in the person of Jesus. This is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one in whom all the ancient promises of Israel will be fulfilled. This is none other than the Son of God in the flesh come to rescue us. And if we would believe in him, cast our hopes on him, put, place our trust, entrust ourselves to him, we may have life in his name. True life, full life, abundant life now and forever in the presence of Jesus. This is the life that Jesus has on offer. And so I just, I just want to close by asking three simple questions. They're very personal questions, but I think they're questions that Jesus would even ask each one of us this morning. And that it, the first one is this. Have you seen the evidence of Jesus' touch? Have you seen the evidence of Jesus' touch? 
in your life or the lives of people around you? Have you seen these little coincidences, these moments where all of a sudden you say, I, I, think, something, I think something bigger is going on. I, I can see that there's power beyond the world. I can see that there's life and there's grace. You see it in the lives of people. You see their, the way they carry themselves. You see the change that Jesus does in people's lives. And all of a sudden, you just can't ignore the fact that Jesus has probably been here. And all of a sudden, it starts to dawn on you. I, I think Jesus, there may be more to this Jesus thing than I thought. And you see the change, you see the life, you see the touch. Have you seen that? The second question is, do you hear the call of Jesus' voice? Do you hear the call of Jesus' voice? Has there been a moment in your life when you begin to realize that Jesus is actually calling you? that he's drawing you. You can feel it sometimes deep down in here where your soul is starting to come alive and there's warmth and you realize like, I think God's reaching out for me. I think Jesus is drawing me to himself. Despite all of my misgivings, all of the things that I, I hesitate and hold back from, I feel that Jesus is inviting me, calling me to himself. When, it be, when you begin to realize that Jesus does know us completely, that he loves us utterly, and he forgives us entirely, and that he's actually calling each and every one of us to himself. The third question is, will you feel the depths of Jesus' love for you? Will you feel the depths of Jesus' love for you? In the midst of all your doubts, all of your skepticism, all of your misgivings and hesitations, will you dare to begin to actually feel how much Jesus loves you? That Jesus would move heaven and earth for you. That Jesus would rather die than be parted from you. That Jesus is a love that would give himself up for you. And Jesus' love is so powerful that it could not stay dead, but it rose again to eternal life for you. And Jesus did all of this for you. And Jesus, friends, Jesus is still alive. He's still changing uh, people's lives today. He's changed my life. He's changing others. Just this week, I talked to a man uh, who has COVID-19, and he's, um, you know, he's sick, and he's processing everything, but you know what he's found? He's found that Jesus has never been nearer to him than he, than he has experienced this week, as he is just running in trust into the arms of Jesus, and he feels peace and security because Jesus is with him. I talked to a, a, a widow this week who's still grieving the loss of her husband earlier this year, and she is finding incredible solace in the word of God and the presence of Jesus in her life, giving her strength and hope this resurrection week because of what he's done to secure her husband and her own life for all eternity. And she's resting in that and finding joy and life in the midst of all the pain. Just this week, I talked to a fellow who is, who is feeling what I believe is God reaching out, Jesus reaching out to him. 
and he's not ready to say yes to Jesus yet, but Jesus is saying yes to him and calling out his name, and I can feel it in the way that he told me his story. And I'm telling you, he's starting to realize, starting to dare to believe that Jesus is pursuing him and loving him always. And so my question for you is this resurrection morning, do you know that resurrection life? Do you have that relationship with Jesus? Have you felt that all that God has done to pursue you in Jesus Christ? Have you seen the evidence of his life? Have you heard him call you by name and have you felt the depth of his love for you? And if you're ready, wherever you're seated right now this morning, however you're watching and consuming this, if you're in a place and you're like, I want that life, I want that resurrection power, I want to know Jesus Christ, I wanna just invite you. It's as, it's as simple as ABC to come to Jesus. It's A, we admit. We admit that we are sinners far from God. B, we believe that Jesus has done everything in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension to make us right with God. And see, we commit our lives to him and say, come, be my savior, be my Lord, like Thomas here, my Lord and my God. And I just wanna invite you, if you will simply pray and say, God, I am a sinner. I admit that, I need help. I believe that you've done everything to make me right with you by sending Jesus in my place and for my sake. And I commit myself to you. Be my savior, be my Lord, be my everything. If you will just pray a prayer like that, um, you can have life in Jesus' name, even today. It would be the greatest and most beautiful capstone to this resurrection morning that you might rise in life because of what Jesus did when he rose from the grave to change your life forever. And so I invite you to do that. I'm gonna pray for us now as we celebrate this resurrection morning and all the joys that have come in Jesus Christ who has blown the doors off of death and given hope where there seemed that there could be no hope left. And so let's pray and celebrate and thank God for who Jesus is for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we celebrate today that Jesus has risen with power that death could not hold him, that Satan couldn't bind him, that sin couldn't defeat him, that hell could not keep him, but that he rose with resurrection power in strength and might forever. He is the risen Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is our hero, our savior, and our everything. And we worship and exalt Jesus, the resurrected one, today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Have a wonderful Easter. We love you.